This is Pivot Perspectives with Chris O'Byrne, the show that takes you around the world to share interviews with some of the most successful and relevant people on the planet. Hear their stories and get the most important business lessons they've learned on their road to success and get exclusive access on how to implement their success into your life and business. Pivot Perspectives is brought to you by the Strategic Advisor Board and your host, Chris O'Byrne. Well, welcome to the show, Emma. I'm so excited to have you here and have a bunch of great questions to help us dig into what's going on in in your world. Okay. Thank you. I appreciate the invitation. Absolutely. So I like to do a little regression therapy in the very beginning and (laughs) take you back to your childhood. And so what's a... (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. What's a story from your childhood that you feel was instrumental in you know just developing in you into who you are today? Actually, I have two short stories, and they both have a a similar theme about i i was I was a kid and it had to do with dinner. so the the first one, was I was four years old, approximately. I wasn't yet in like grade school, but mom and dad had some type of a evening event, like a date or a dinner, something. And me, my brother, my sister, we went to, to, we had dinner with the neighbors while mom and dad did this event. And my, my parents are Filipino immigrants. And this was the first time we'd ever been to an American family for dinner. And I remember sitting (laughs) at the table, I'm like four years old, and I'm looking around and watching the mom set the table. And they had two kids that were around the same age as me and my sister. Um, So they weren't yet in school either. Um, But the mom was setting the table dad was getting the milk out and i what was going on in my mind was that there were two boxes of milk and that their um the food was different and when it came to eating after everything was set i'm looking at the 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 place setting and i'm thinking where's the spoon because there was a knife and there was a fork, there was no spoon. And I'm looking around the, the, the food when they're passing it around and I'm thinking, where's the rice? And so, so that kind of leads into just my, my confusion. Cause I, you know, my expectations were, were, were set in what I was used to in my own home for dinner, having, Filipino parents, we always had rice. We didn't have bread and potatoes very often. Um, the two boxes of milk was confusing to me, but one was like whole milk and one was like 2% milk. So one for the kids and one for the adults. And we we drank whole milk at, at home. Um, and it wasn't a box. It was a, a gallon jug. Um, and so there's just these differences. And, you know, I'm four years old, so I don't know anything. And I had to observe the people eat to figure out how to eat because I am used to eating with a spoon, with a fork and a spoon. So fast forward to me being around 10 years old. And again, had to do with dinner. 
And my dad is the one who does most of the cooking. And I remember him making something that was kind of ethnic. It was Filipino or something like that. It wasn't American. And he sets it out in front of us. And I'm like, so what's this, dad? And he's like, it's your dinner. But we don't we don't recognize it because it's Filipino. It's ethnic of some sort. And so I resume with the but we don't know what it is. What is it? Dad's response was, it's your dinner. So third time, I say it again. Dad, we don't know what this is. What is this? And then so he he turns it into a learning opportunity. He's like, okay, I'm the cook around here. I made the dinner. I'm your dad. Do you trust that I'm going to give you something that's going to make you sick? Do you trust that this is nutritious and is going to taste good because I'm giving it to you? It's like, do you trust me? Because I'm your dad. It's like, if you don't like it, well, then you don't get to eat because you know what this is? It's your dinner. (laughs) (laughs) But both of those experiences from when I was a kid kind of just illustrates that, you know, people are different in their expectations and there are different ways for you to learn. You can learn through observation. You can learn by being told something. You can learn by research and education. You can live and learn, or you can learn through the trust in others. And so the work that I do is, you know, in transition and a lot of it is just your your expectations, what you know, where you've been. That's the basis of what you believe in your behaviors and what you do. But if it's misplaced for the environment that you're in, there's going to be confusion or there may be unmet expectations. So how do you approach resolving those issues of not knowing something there's different ways to do it that's a great application of those stories um so you're going through childhood going through school at what point did you decide that hey i'm going to join the military ah okay so my my parents were both immigrants. Mom was a um, RN, and my dad um, was a factory worker. They both immigrated to the U.S. already college educated, um, but they they were seeking opportunities um, to um, kind of grow in the in the work that they had, or maybe they were pursuing a different objective in their career. Or, but basically, what they were wanting to do was um, make some money and be able to send some of it home to their family. So they they came to the U.S. on work visas, and um, so they're middle income workers. Mom as an RN, my dad as a factory worker. Uh, he worked for John Deere Harvester, um, but there was three of us in the family who all wanted to go to college. My my brother's a year older than me. I'm in the middle. And my sister is a year younger than me. And so we all had intentions of going to college, but one, two, three, all in a row was going to be very difficult for the family to support. 
So we were all smart kids because we grew up with the with the value of education. You got to be smart. You got to work hard. You can do whatever you want, but you got to be smart. You got to work hard. Um, So um, when it came to college, mom and dad didn't tell us we needed to go. We just grew up with the intention that we would. Um, But how? How do we go? Right. Um, and, uh, they didn't know a whole lot about, you know, different opportunities other than scholarships, right? We were all smart kids and they're like, we want, they they were like, we want to support you in wherever you want to go to school, but you're going to have to help with it because all three of you want to go. We don't make enough as a family to, to, you know, pay for it all. So we, we looked at opportunities for scholarships. I was athletic. I was on the track team, but I wasn't good enough to get an athletic scholarship. Um, My sister and I were both um, good in music, but probably not good enough to get a performance, you know, scholarship or whatever. We were all smart. So we looked at other things other than being smart that might support us going to school. And so the military was one of those options. My brother, who's a year older than me, he actually joined the National Guard. Um, He he went um, into the military after just one semester of high school. So he graduated early so that he could go to boot camp, go through AIT and get all those initial entry um, requirements met. And then he went, you know, to school. Uh, He went to a state school. Uh, in the fall, because his GI benefits were then available. I um, looked into opportunities to get a scholarship. And so that's how I entered into the military was I um, applied for an Air Force scholarship when I was a junior, because I learned about it through um, the guidance counselor. And there was like somebody who came to the school and talked to us about that opportunity. I did not know that the other branches had ROTC scholarships like um, as well, but I I learned about the Army having um, a scholarship as well the summer between my junior and senior years. So I applied for an Army ROTC scholarship. I got offers from both branches and I you know, ultimately chose the Army one. Okay, interesting. Yeah, looking back on my my own career, I entered the Air Force and, you know, delayed entry and, you know, my the summer between my junior and senior year. But interestingly enough, nobody ever told me about ROTC. Nobody ever gave me any opportunities oh. for college. Never never knew it existed until probably, a, well, a long time down the road. So, so when did you enter? And then, you know, was it right after your senior year? Yeah, so I I was offered the Air Force scholarship. I got the um, letter in the fall because I had applied for it in the spring, but because I didn't apply for the Army one until the fall of my senior year, I held off making a response to the Air Force to accept or deny the scholarship. I was like, I'm going to see if I get an offer from the Army, and I did. And um, then I was comparing the two. Now, the reason why I was going this route was because I I wanted to help the family, right? So I was looking at what's the value of the scholarship, right? And it's like, is this going to help the family Um, as well as me, as far as me going to college? And the Air Force scholarship was a two-year scholarship. 
And with any scholarship, it's awarded based on some merit or some program, right? So the Air Force scholarship was actually an offer for two years, and it was for nursing as the program. Now, what I wanted to do is I wanted to be a doctor. I was planning to go to pre-med. And the Army scholarship offer was a three-year advanced designee. And basically what that means is in your first year of college, you're not committed to you have to serve afterwards. It's kind of like a try it before you buy it. But you are a contracted cadet where you have to meet, you know, your academic performance um, requirements for your major, as well as the, the, the courses in ROTC. And then you can decide, do you want to continue the program or, or opt out for the rest? So that's what the advanced designee part was. Um, but something I realized when I was applying for the Army scholarship was that they had programs in physical science that were what I wanted. In the Air Force application, the closest thing to becoming a doctor was nursing. There wasn't like a biology or physical sciences program that I could like check the box. So that's why it was offered in nursing. They didn't have the options that were pre-med. In the Army scholarship, there was. And so there was biology and any physical science that you could check the box. And so I was like, ah, biology. And that's what it was offered was a um, physical sciences degree, um, three-year advanced designee. And when I was talking to my my parents about the offers, one was like, well, this one pays more. It's for three years. I didn't quite understand the advanced designee part, but it's like just for numbers sake, I, you know, I'm 18 years old, 17 years old. And my objective was to help the family um, and go to and go to school. It's like, well, this one pays more. It's it's longer and it's in the degree that I want. And then um, my dad was also saying something was like yeah and I think with with the army I think the air force is more technical it's like more machines and stuff and you're going to be working with people army is all full of people and so there's kind of this logical (laughs) practicality in the decision making process that you know I'm just like a 17 year old kid my my dad who's super practical is like you want to be a doctor. You're going to be working with people. I think the Air Force is more technical. Maybe the Army is a better choice because there's more people. <laughs> oh, I love I it. Army route for a couple reasons. Some of them practical. Some of them just kind of naive. Um, but that that's how it ended up. <laughs> so then you went into the Army, but you went into college at the same time. Yeah, because there was I was an ROTC. Uh, contracted cadet because I was going to school on a scholarship. So I I had an obligation to serve after I finished my degree because of that scholarship. And then how long were you in the Army altogether? 17 and a half years and some change. Um, My intentions were actually to serve till retirement. You know, my intentions at the beginning was I, I need to help the family as much as I can so I can go to college and be a doctor and all this. You know, I didn't end up becoming a doctor. Um, I do have a biology degree, but I changed my mind along the way. Um, and that's another story. But um, it's something to where 
my obligation to fulfill my requirement for having gone to school on our scholarship was four years of active duty if I went active duty, but altogether an eight year commitment to serve. So um, the uh, <laughs> after I served four years on active duty, I was liking what I was doing as I was, I was a captain at this point, And I was like, I like this. I, I'm going to keep doing this. And I have no reason to not do this anymore. I have a total of eight years of service. I'll just stay on active duty. Right. And well, that was what happened until I was um, kind of denied the opportunity to continue serving to 20 because of the downsizing that happened. Um, it was around 2010. Um when the downsize started, but a lot of us in the field didn't realize what a downsize would do for career opportunities. You know, at this point, I'm looking at getting promoted to lieutenant colonel, and I've been a successful, you know, um, chemical officer for my entire career. I I even had had a couple commands, and that's not frequent for a chemical officer to um, have more than one. And my commands were in force com. So, um, so an operational uh, um, environment versus training and doctrine or recruiting. A lot of chemical officers do their command time in trade doc, um, training and doctrine, or in recruiting. Um, force com is the field units, units in the field that are getting, you know, um, deployed and whatnot. And I, I had two commands in force com. So I was like, I, I'm doing well. And well, the downsize affected my opportunities, unbeknownst to me. And I um, that's the reason why I retired early as a major with 17 and a half years versus my intention of 20 plus as a lieutenant colonel. Um, but it all kind of translates into part of the reason why I do the work that I do. I wasn't ready. And um, that unexpected end to my military career and my expectations for what I thought I understood for how to be successful, it's part of the transition puzzle paradigm that I now use as um, part of my uh, process when I help people kind of understand where are you in your in your transition process and is part of the problem your headspace or the, you know, what's, what are you thinking about it, of who you are and what you're about? Um, or is it this space that you're showing up in and how you are delivering on your expectations and are your expectations getting met? And for me, it was that space awareness part of the puzzle where I was unprepared and, uh, you know, to my peril, I wasn't ready. And uh, so now I help people with, with, the whole transition process. Where are you? And is it partly your fault or is it things that you can't control? So you're getting out of the military. What on earth made you decide that you were going to become an entrepreneur? <laughs> okay. So one of the things I realized when I finally realized that, okay, trying to explain what happened as far as not getting selected and how the heck did I get to that point in, in my, uh, in my reality, when I've been successful, the whole kind of trying to explain it was, was, it was irrelevant and it didn't really matter. Cause I, I didn't know how was I supposed to know? 
Um, and my sister actually got me to start focusing on what was important, which was what was in front of me, what's in the future versus trying to explain things that were in the past, which I really still don't know exactly why. Um, but the way that she did it, the way she kind of snapped me out of it was she was like, when I was explaining to her what not getting selected for promotion for two times in a row meant, um, she's like, Emma, it had nothing to do with you. You're trying to figure out why it happened and the shoulda, woulda, coulda. Did you piss somebody off? Did you not do the right things? Did you this, that, or the next thing? It doesn't matter. The system changed. You got laid off. And and when she explained it that way, I was like, oh, oh my gosh. And I realized she was right. But then when I started looking at what's in my future, instead of trying to figure out what's in the rearview mirror, I was like, oh my gosh, I have no plan. I have less than six months, ready or not, here I come. What is that going to be? And I, I understood that in order to get to any opportunity, you got to know people. And I didn't know anyone. Right. And so whether I went into the private sector or if I went into entrepreneurship or anything else, it was going to be a challenge regardless because I didn't know anyone. Um, the people that I knew, they were military. They're here, there, wherever they were. And if they were people who were already out, I didn't know what anybody was doing. Right. And I also realized after I, um, uh, was on transition leave, you know, I'd sign out of the unit. I was on my last, you know, 90 days on active duty or whatever. I was on my DA 31 um, or whatever you call it now, um, if that's still what it is as far as the leave form. But I had been back from overseas because I ended my career um, overseas, came back to the United States. After three or four weeks of being back in the United States, the government shut down. We had sequestration <laughs> in October of that year. And so the downsizing of the military, there was sequestration in, in October, contracts and everything were, were getting non-renewed or, or canceled or whatever. And I was just like, okay, working for the government is not a good idea. And, um, and so I don't know anybody. And so going into entrepreneurship to me seemed less risky <laughs> um, because what I... Um, intended to do was to um, take an opportunity that already had a business model. I wasn't going to do like a scratch, you know, startup company, which is what Tubes Consulting is. But I didn't I didn't go into a startup um, per se in my first venture. Right. I was a 1099 contractor and I was building oh. a farmer's agency. So I went into insurance and part oh. of it, part of going into insurance was in just assessing my skill sets for translatability, right? It's like, okay, so what did I used to do for the army and, and super good at, I've been doing it for however long, how do I translate, you know, those technical skills, those soft skills, I'm a leader, I've been in command, I know how to run a small organization. Um, and at, one of my commands was a headquarters. So the staff functions and just kind of the herding cats kind of environment of a headquarters command, oh. um, I, I that was one of my commands. And so I was like, I can I can lead an organization. I can run an agency, you know. And so it was actually advice from a friend of my husband's 
who'd been in financial services for a long time. Um, and uh, he, he stated that, well, if you're going to go into the financial services industry, you can be uh, an entrepreneur, you can be a producer. There's a lot of different, you know, opportunities in financial services. Um, but if you're going to be an entrepreneur, if you're going to run your own agency, align yourself with a big name that people mm -hmm. already recognize because nobody knows you, but they recognize farmers or Edward Jones right. or, you know, you know, name a big financial services company, right? If you want to be a financial advisor, if you want to be an insurance agency right now, nobody knows you, but align yourself with a brand that people do. And then you, when you build your business, then people do business with you because of you and the big brand name, right? But when you're first starting out, nobody knows you. So that was, that was how I got into my first business was I, I figure uh, financial services or being an insurance agency, because what I did in the military was all about risk mitigation. It was a very uh, specific, it was a very specific risk mitigation for unconventional risk that are invisible in the environment. So I was a chemical officer. So CBRN, chemicals, biologicals, uh, radiation and nuclear, uh, you know, energy, those are the invisible risks that my expertise was focused on. And I explained it to folks who don't have military uh, background that conventional risk is what most people associate as far as the military. Okay, these conventional risks are easy to see. They're hard, they're they're loud, they're noisy, there's a projectile and it does damage to people and things. And that's what conventional risk is. And that's what most people who are on a planning team are focused on. The bullets, the rockets, the cannons, the all those loud and noisy things that destroy things, right? <laughs> but other people have to look at the things that are also in the environment that are invisible. That's me. That's the folks who are the medical folks, right? There's folks who are our maneuver support. They're looking at those things that can get in the way of the conventional forces being able to do what they do. We're actually called the protection branches. So the air defense, the engineers, the, milita uh, the military police, the chemical corps, these are all called protection branches because what we do is we enable the maneuver to do what they do, which is maneuver, right? But there are these things that can get in the way. Those things that can get in the way can make, you know, for me, it was things can make you sick, right? Yeah. There are obstacles and landmines. There's people on the battlefield who shouldn't be there. There's outlaws and, uh, you know, uh, traffic ways, you know, so all these other branches are supporting the ability of the conventional forces to do their thing. And that was what my business was, was, okay, what's invisible that can hurt people, can make you sick, can make you have to put on protective gear that'll compromise your communications, your ability to move or whatnot. And it was like risk analysis, risk mitigation. It's all about training and, and communicating it well so that people make the right decisions for how much risk do they want to take. I was like, okay, well, that's insurance. And so that's how I got into insurance and financial uh, advising. You know, you know, it's a different type of risk mitigation. It has to do with money. And it's like, well, I could do that too, but 
you know, it ended up to be where insurance was kind of a really good lateral shift for the skills that I already had. And um, being able to take something that's really scary and people are uncomfortable discussing like life and, you know, a destruction of your home from a fire or an accident where you hurt somebody or your, you know, material uh, possession gets destroyed. Those are uncomfortable conversations to have, but to mitigate risk, you got to be able to communicate it well. And well, in my business, chemicals and radiology and uh, things that could hurt you, kill you unconventionally, like those are scary things. Um, but I, I could communicate these things about scary stuff that people don't want to think about or even consider so that they can make a decision that will help protect them. So. Got it. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So then here you are happily running an insurance agency. What? Uh, there's another into what I do now. Okay. Yes, uh, absolutely. Okay. So in our household, I was the active duty service person and my husband was the military spouse. A lot of folks, you know, will, will assume that we were dual military because a lot of the time that's what you'll see when the woman is on active duty. Um, and a lot of time also because you meet each other at work. Um, and But I knew David before I uh, finished college. I met him when I was a college student. Um, so it was a little bit unconventional as far as our relationship, but the challenges of transition for us, we both were not ready. We both were going through those challenges of what's next after the military. We don't have a plan. Well, we sort of did, but we didn't have time to develop it because we had to execute two and a half, three years sooner than we thought this was going to happen. But David's technical expertise is in computer science. And because of being a military spouse, he wasn't continuously employed throughout my career. It just kind of depended on where we were, if there were opportunities for him to do his work as computer science uh, you know, professional. He was a computer programmer. He does software, de software development. Um, so he was having challenges just finding an opportunity in corporate America. He had two master's degrees. One of them was in um, information management. The other one had to do with business and um, um, business and some information security or something like that. But he was having problems getting opportunities. And part of it was the gaps in his employment. And I was building, you know, my insurance agency it was a scratch agency. I was building a book of business. I was doing a lot of networking. And through our experiences in this first year out of the army, I'm building the, the business, I'm meeting a lot of people, and I'm, I'm getting exposed to this perpetual gap between folks who <clears throat> have familiarity with the military culture and people and folks who don't. And so I'm learning a lot of things about business because I'm meeting people who are civilians, right? And every time that I would meet somebody new, this kind of gap of understanding, there would be some gap of understanding because I'm explaining to them, you know, you know, where am I coming from? I used to be in the army. Now I'm in insurance and da, 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 blah, blah, blah. So all of that would always come up. 
Um, but anytime there was confusion, either on my part or their part, for understanding me and some of my background in the military, if it was the military information that was the gap, I bridged that gap and I would explain it. If it was something where I was confused to something that was business and or they were using language I didn't understand, I would out my ignorance and say, I don't understand what you're saying. And they would explain it. So there was there was there was a bridge and that was being built with me either asking the right questions or re realizing someone didn't understand and I would bridge it. So that that over time, I kept seeing it. For like 10 months, I was like, every time I meet someone, there is this bridging of this gap between the fact that I have military experience and I'm using language or behaviors that they don't understand, or they have business concepts or or language that I don't understand. So it's it's this perpetual culture difference between folks who have served in, in the business community. And I was seeing it for 10 months to varying degrees. <laughs> And um, my husband, he was um, he had an opportunity for a while with a friend from high school. But then when that opportunity ended, he was having this these tr struggles with um, an opportunity. And he was even working with a technical recruiter. And I remember one day I was asking him how things were going with that because he'd been working with this technical recruiter for um, for a few weeks already. And he wasn't getting pitched as like an ideal candidate. And I was wondering why. And it's like, what's going on? Um, and David explained it to me. He's like, computer programming is a language. Um, when you think in that in that way, you can pick up new languages very easily. It's just like if you can, if you know the Latin languages of you know, this or that, you can pick up another Latin kind of base language pretty easily. So folks who speak Spanish can usually pick up uh, French and Italian pretty easily because they're kind of got the same rules. Well, computer programming, like a language, changes over time. And there's these skills tests that they're having me do, and I'm not scoring a 90 percentile, and that's what they want me to be scoring in order to be pitched as an ideal candidate. And I'm like, for one, I was really surprised at that high of a percentage because most certifications you pass with a 70 percent because, you know, that's what I had to do to get my licenses and in insurance. And I was like, wow, that's that's really high. Um, and I was like, well, how are you scoring? It's like 85, 87. I was like, those are really good scores. And he and I was like confused and he was so he's explaining me this and it's like but languages change and so do computer languages and so there's this thing called syntax like punctuation and because i haven't been doing it in a while my punctuation is wrong and i'm not scoring in a 90 percentile because i'm not used to the new language how it has changed in the 10 years or 12 15 years since i really was doing it all the time but just like with anyone who has lost a little bit of fluency you get back in it immersed and you pick it back up really, really quick. But he's not getting these, these opportunities and he was frustrated and he was explaining to me. He's like, if I can't get picked up, you know, what based on my my resume because of these gaps of employment that aren't inherently obvious that I'm a military spouse and, you know, I'm not getting pitched by a technical recruiter because of this dang skills test that I'm, I'm missing it because I don't know what the syntax changes are, then then. I should just work for myself and be a consultant. And he says it in frustration. He's like, 
And by this time, I'm already realizing that there's this perpetual gap between the, the communities of the military service person and the business, and that I was bridging it and it's education. And, I was, and then I, my response to him is like, why don't we? And he's like, what? <laughs> and he was like, what? Because he's just venting and just frustrated. Yeah. And I was like, and I explained it to him. I was like, David, I've been networking for like 10 months. And I keep seeing this with everyone I meet. It's education. It's me outing my ignorance or I'm helping them understand something because I see that they are confused. But it's a bridge that 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 is being built by education. And David was so frustrated. He was like, what? <laughs> and I'm like, why don't we start a business, a consulting business? Because um, we're good at, we're, we're both good at school. Um, David actually went to school on a scholarship. It was an athletic scholarship, but David's also very smart. Um, and, and we both are have patients and have had experience with tutoring when we were students and with people when we have expertise that that you know that they don't have, we we're good at explaining things um, to folks who don't understand it um, as well as we do. And so we're like, we can do this. It's it's education. Um, so let's, let's do a business. Right. And so, um, you know, I let the folks at, um, farmers, my district manager, um, he actually has said something that also encouraged the idea because farmers had some, um, marketing campaign that they were doing to where they wanted to get more military experience talent to come in as new producers or new, um, business owners, new agency owners. Um, and my district manager has said something about how, um, you know, people will pay for expertise. They'll pay for speed, you know, and you being an agency owner now with military experience, you know, there, there may be businesses out there who want to do better in attracting military talent. There, there's people who will pay for that kind of service. And because of that, I was like, hmm. And so, um, so that was kind of what it was. We, we started the business in December of 2014. I'd been out of the army for about a year. Um, and that's what we've been doing as our business ever since is Tubes Consulting. So then what makes Tubes Consulting special? Well, I think when you do a startup business that's based on knowledge, that you got to be confident in your abilities to serve to that expectation. We set up the business with the name Tubes Consulting because the idea that we had when we started it was that David would be consulting in computer science and information technology type stuff because that was his wheelhouse, that I would be doing consulting that was focused on my understanding of the military culture and people, right? So I'd be helping folks with um, recruiting and military programs and strategies and things like this. That was my idea. And, and we set up the business with actually three segments, personal professional development, because we're, we're teachers, you know, we can help folks understand, you know, the you know, the different subjects that are just the typical in school, science and math and, and, you know, social studies, all those different things, we could do that. 
Um, but then these consulting segments where we thought we were going to be spending the most time. Um, but we realized over time that the marketing of our consulting was was difficult because David is introvert. He doesn't do a lot of marketing. I'm the one who does it. And it was confusing to people as far as what, what is it that you guys do? So I think what's unique is one, you got to believe in what you are delivering. You you have to have credibility, even if people don't know you, right? Because nobody knew us, but we we were like, we're good at this, this, and this, create the company in these with these segments in mind. Um, but over time, we lived and learned as far as which segment should we really be focused in. And so now we focus not just not just on consulting, um, but those are really kind of the ones that we only do by referral. What we focus on now is personal and professional development, because one, it's more ubiquitous as far as people needing it and wanting it and, and understanding what it's about. Um, and when I market it, it's not confusing as far as who's delivering the service we both are. Got it. Got it. Okay. So then switching gears just slightly, who are some key influences or mentors that kind of helped you along the way to getting to where you're at now? I I vaguely mentioned one earlier, um, and that was David's high school classmate. But if you rewind a little bit, when I was a second lieutenant, I got introduced to John C. Maxwell as a business author. <clears throat> and so as a brand new second lieutenant, I I read his book of the 21 Irrefutable Laws of Leadership. And then of course, the the career in the military is all about leadership at different levels, right? They're going to have plenty of opportunities to learn and exercise leadership um, abilities. Um, but after I got out, I got introduced to Napoleon Hill um, through a coach. And a couple things out of Napoleon Hill's uh, book, Think and Grow Rich, was this idea of infinite intelligence and masterminds. And so this is kind of like a woo-woo type of thing. Some people can't get their head wrapped around it because you kind of have, you kind of have to have faith um, that there is something bigger, you know, that there's a universe, you know, that that there's an energy or there's whatever. But in the book, he calls it the infinite intelligence, and that everybody has access to it. But it's like, it's it's energy. But those two business authors and some of the ideas that they had in the these two books. Um, really helped me as far as kind of understanding where do I fit as far as this being in the knowledge business, right? I'm in the knowledge business. Um, and another one that I got introduced to is, um, was a guy named Dean Graziosi. And he, um, one of his key uh, uh, value props when he talks and when he trains is that the underdog advantage is that people don't expect a lot when you're the underdog, right? You you don't have a reputation. Nobody knows you. You have this underdog advantage because there's no expectation that you are needing to try to meet because they don't have one for you. And he also had one that had to do with your mess becomes your message. And so these three business authors, um, all got, they all got introduced to me at different points in my life. 
But I think a lot of what resonates with them is how I now kind of conduct myself in my business. Um, but I've met a lot of folks along the way. I've had some informal coaches. I've had ones that I have paid, right? My, you know, that are intentionally working with me. Um, but a lot of it has been a combination of headspace and space awareness, which is what my transition puzzle paradigm is all about. It's like, where is the problem in your steps to proceed or get closer to what it is that you are trying to achieve? Is it you getting in your own way because your headspace is is wrong? You have set limits to what you um are considering as as information that is going to get you there are you you don't know enough and you have um, closed off your ability to um, progress because you're not growing in your information what you know maybe what you're realizing is you're you're not necessarily in your own way but in the space that you are in there are barriers because there's access that you don't have there's a closed door there is an expert that you need and you don't know enough but that person does um and so there's different things that could be in your way and and along you know the last 10 years since i've been out i've been realizing kind of where where do i have control and where do I not and that's the key the transition puzzle paradigm is you have to acknowledge and understand what you can or cannot control control the stuff you can but influence the rest if you don't have the capabilities then can you gain them how much time is it going to take if you don't want to spend the time and expense to gain them then align yourself with the resources and the people who can accelerate and get that next step taken. Um, other things that I've realized as far as to the question, as far as key influences or mentors is earlier, I was talking about how when I was a kid, I, I realized that there are different ways to learn. You can do it by live and learn and come away with your own interpretation and and lesson as far as what that meant. You can observe it and interpret it based on your own ideas of what did that mean. You could have someone tell you. You can do research and education or you can have someone that you trust tell you and you trust them even if you don't understand it all, right? And so it's I think it's a combination of all those things that over time, I know to turn to when I'm stuck because you acknowledge what you can and you cannot control. There's a whole lot that you can't. And so what is it that you need to do? And that's the key. You got to do in order to get that next step and not get stuck. I like that. So as we start to wrap things up today, when you look back on your entrepreneurial journey, what would you say has been one of the most valuable lessons that you've learned? Ah, uh, yeah. Um, I think that people need to be objective. They need to have confidence 
right? But they also need to have the lid open to accept that maybe and probably always there's something else to know or learn. And that even if they're the expert in something, there could be a different way to do it, that there could be a different uh, perspective on something that you already know. And I think that if you do not leave that opening, that you're not objective to consider a new idea, that you're not a lifelong learner, right? That you will get stuck because what what basically what that means is you haven't lived what you need to. You don't know what you need to in order to not be stuck. If you are stuck, it's because there's something missing. So what is it that's missing? And can you help it yourself? Or do you need to add something, someone, some access, some something in order to not be stuck? So I think that's that's kind of the thing. With my business, it's interesting because it seemed like for for every single year that I was out of the army, it seemed like the next year I was onto something different or slightly different than yeah. what I had already been doing. And I'd done some nonprofit work. I was a chapter leader here in Kansas City for the AUSA chapter. That's the Association of the United States Army. So I did that for a long time. Um, did two terms, was chapter president. It was a volunteer thing. And I was doing my business. And I, I've started some different programs with some organizations in town. With There's a Purple Connection that I launched with, with some folks. It was like a networking group that kind of supported the military um, transitioner. There's the American Warriors uh, interest group that I started over at the ACA Business Club. Um, there's my business. There's this transition paradigm thing that I really started to use in my marketing and language as far as describing what it is that I do. I have a strengths profile um, certification now, but it's it's all not completely off track of the purpose that I have, right? It's it's a slight variance to the lane. It's kind of like when you're in the military, you're expected to stay in your lane, but you have this, this left and right limit as far as how much wiggle room you have um, to adjust, right? You don't want to get in the way of the next person over because they got their excellence that they got to be awesome at, right? So you got your piece to be expert and excellent in, but you got a little bit of wiggle room as far as your left and right limits. But when you are executing, you got to know what your lane and, and limits are, but you also need to know what the next couple levels above you are doing because it's a nested plan. Well, I think in business is the same way. You, you need to be able to know who you are, what you're awesome at, what's your competitive advantage, why you versus the next guy. You need to understand how to communicate so people understand that about you, right? Um, you need to do your thing in your lane with a little wiggle room. We might have opportunities to partner with folks and, and synergize your, your energy, your, your uh, capacity, your resources. But you also, as far as operations, you need to know when you need to pause, stop, wait for the left or right to catch up or, you know, do something completely different because the plan just went to shit, right? It don't work anymore and just come up with something else. Right. But all of those things, <laughs> it's funny because they're all kind of lessons that I learned in the military, but now they have a different context. But 
it's in it's in self-identification and space awareness it 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 ties to the transition puzzle paradigm that is what i um you know kind of have as the premise for my work and you know if what you want and you know what it is is whatever that is how are you getting there you 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 need to acknowledge the strategic framework of self and space but then everything in the middle can be very chaotic and that's okay because that's where life happens you don't always know what you're going to encounter but you have to encounter them but when you do you make a decision where does this fit do you do you not not yet know and if there are things that you can delegate to people who know it's like there's this whole segment of your puzzle that's like you know what that person's awesome and brilliant at that. I'm going to just delegate and they can manage that part of the puzzle because I trust them, right? Mm-hmm. Some of it, you don't have to do yourself. I think a lot of folks maybe kind of get in their own way because they think that. Yeah, absolutely. This was a fantastic interview. Thank you so much for this. What is the best way for people to find out more about you and what you're doing? A uh, couple couple ways to find me online. Uh, my LinkedIn profile. Uh, so Emma Tubes on LinkedIn, if you are posit- part of that uh, business social network. Um, and then my website, uh, tubesconsulting.com has some information about what it is that we do. We have several segments that we support uh, as far as students and adults who are in transition. That's who we primarily focus on, our um, students for academic and career uh, development planning, folks who are already in the workforce, and if maybe they want to do a shift, get promoted, or just shift into a whole different environment. Um, And of course, my affinity with people who are coming out of the military um, and um, entrepreneurs. So those are all kind of pillars that people can learn a little bit more about on our website. So tubesconsulting.com. And then if you want to send me an email, you can send it to Emma at tubesconsulting.com. Perfect. Thank you so much. I'm really glad you came on today. All right. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Pivot Perspectives with your host, Chris O'Byrne. Please leave your feedback and visit strategicadvisorboard.com to get the latest and greatest business advice on the planet. Follow us on social media for updates, and we will see you on the next episode.